This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Hey, it's 12.03, Wednesday afternoon, August 3rd. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. The WBBM Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Americans are racking up credit card debt as they struggle with the impact of inflation. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, we're hearing from the president of the St. Louis Fed. Well, there's fresh data on factory orders and the service sector. We're joined by Bob Bruska, chief economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Bob, thanks for joining us today. James Bullard, who is the president of the St. Louis Fed, is one of the more uh, notorious uh, hawks uh, when it comes to interest rates. And he says there will be uh, more interest rate hikes to come, but he does not believe that, that there is a recession and that there's going to be a recession. What type of message does that send? <laughs> um, I don't know. Happy days are here again. Uh, <laughs> Now, I, I heard uh, I was at a meeting last night. I belonged to this group called the Money Marketers of New York University, and we heard Jim uh, live and in person last night. I got to ask him a question about this. And, uh, no, he's pretty convinced that uh, the Fed can help avoid a recession, that there will be a soft landing. And he thinks that the way to do this is to raise rates relatively rapidly. And to him, the, the key for this whole process um, is to raise rates and to get control of things and for the Fed to demonstrate credibility. And he says, if the markets think that the Fed has credibility, it's more likely that we have a soft landing. He said, it's not the the sharp increase in the Fed funds rate isn't the thing that will create a recession. In fact, he thinks the opposite, that if the Fed goes too slow and doesn't burnish its credibility, the markets will worry more and that will be more of a problem and enhance the prospects of having recession. That's it in a nutshell. So basically, and so basically, it's just, it's it's really a a sentiment uh, issue as far as a recession is concerned. If one were to develop, if the business community and the markets don't believe the Fed's on top of things and they're not responding to conditions as they are, uh, they will take matters into their own hands. But if the Fed appears to be in the driver's seat, uh, they will have more confidence in the in the Fed's ability to control inflation. Yes, yes, that and a little bit of pixie dust. I think it's a question of how much you want to believe that. I think the the problem right now is that the Fed is so far behind the curve that they waited 11 months when inflation soared to do anything, that they extended their, their tapering exercise and sat on the sidelines. And so while they have given us a couple of very strong rate hikes, uh, we already have some stirring and pe- former Fed people like Alan Blinder telling the Fed, oh, don't go too fast and you know, even last week, Jerome Powell looked at these data and said that at 2.5%, the Fed funds rate is at neutral. Well, you know, what kind of message does that send? That doesn't seem like neutral to me. How's the Fed funds rate at neutral at 2.5% with the CPI at 9.1%? So I think the Fed's got a big messaging problem on its hands. Uh, 
So anyway, Jim has a point of view, and uh, I think it's interesting, but I don't think the Fed is quite where he thinks they are in terms of credibility. Very quickly, I want to ask you about the services sector. It picked up in July, and also price growth slowed in a big way. Uh, Is this another sign that uh, maybe uh, inflation has peaked and is now on the way down? Yeah, it may be. You know, we had we had a similar signal from the manufacturing ISM report. So the services report showed some rebound. The early report on the Chicago area was actually quite weak. So this is interesting. Uh, but there's still a lot of weakness and slowdown in this report. The headline is is good. Uh, the inflation news is good. Uh, the job component is still on the weaker side. So, uh, you know, don't unstrap your seatbelt yet. Bob Bruska, Chief Economist with Fact and Opinion Economics based in New York. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, consumer debt in the U.S. hitting new highs. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Household debt in the U.S. surpassed $16 trillion for the first time in history during the second quarter of the year. Let's examine this troubling trend with Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst, Bankrate.com, based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Greg, thanks for joining us today. When it comes to household debt, what are the categories that are accelerating the fastest? Well, I, you know, Rob, what's most troubling here is what we're seeing with credit cards and auto loans. You know, the mortgage uh, increase in, in mortgage debt, not only has that been yeah, tempered somewhat uh, by the, the, the rise in rates, uh, uh, you know, we get prime home prices to moderate. You know, that'll take some of the steam out of that. But, but we, homeowners are sitting on a record amount of equity. So that one doesn't worry me. What we are seeing, car payments are higher than ever. Those higher sticker prices mean drivers are borrowing more. Uh, and we're also seeing delinquencies start to tick up uh, on auto loans and credit card debt. Boy, that was down, on the way down throughout the pandemic. As people had excess cash, they paid down the balances. But in large part, because of inflation and how that's stretching household budgets, we see those balances on the rise and, and doing so at a time when interest rates are rising very rapidly. How are the uh, increased rates of credit card debt lining up with the uh, higher amount of personal savings that uh, households have racked up uh, during the pandemic uh, when the government was sending out checks to people and also uh, when people were curtailing their plans to travel and dine out? Uh, does the American consumer still have that cash cushion or uh, has that been drawn down? Well, it's, you know, the term is a K-shaped recovery in the sense that, like the letter K, there's one uh, escalator going up, another one going down. And so a lot of the households that are still flush with savings uh, tend to be those that uh, have more resources, have higher net worth, and and don't have uh, that that paycheck-to-paycheck situation that's been straining so many others. The households that are living paycheck-to-paycheck increasingly They've been running down that savings cushion, and they've been leaning on things like credit card debt uh, to, in order to, to make ends meet. Now, uh, there are indications that the uh, rate of inflation is slowing down, but prices uh, are going to be higher than they were uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, is there a point at which uh, there, there could be some sense of balance or equilibrium from the people who are racking up debt to stay ahead of rising prices? Well, I, mean, I think we have to look at uh, not only the rate of inflation, but also income growth. Uh, you know, we've seen the best income growth in decades, but nobody notices because inflation's at a four-decade high. So getting inflation down in a significant and, and sustained way is, is the first step. But you know, we've got to see income growth remain at a decent level uh, so that 
households have actual growth in, in their buying power and not seeing it significantly eroded as it is this year. Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst with Bankrate.com, based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Coming up next, shares of Airbnb sag despite record-breaking bookings. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Airbnb is reporting a big jump in revenue, but the market isn't impressed. Let's check in with Angelo Zeno, Senior Industry Analyst with CFRA Research, based in New York. Angelo, thanks for joining us today. Let's uh, run down the numbers. Revenue jumping 58% year over year, the most profitable second quarter for Airbnb to date, reporting a net income of $379 million, up from a loss of $68 million a year ago, a $2 billion stock buyback program. What doesn't Wall Street like about Airbnb? Yeah, I mean, you just ran through the numbers and, and they, were, they all seem great, right? Um, I think I think it really has come. It really comes down to one: the fact that the stock has had a really, really nice run, kind of into the numbers. So um, likely, any type of good news or kind of inline type of expectation was already built into the stock. Um, it, this was one of those quarters where they not only needed to beat, but probably decidedly beat, um, especially in a market maybe that's starting to worry a little bit more about kind of tree, uh, peak travel conditions, right? So um, Airbnb would kind of fall under that universe over there. And um, I'd say, you know, the other issue out there is it is absolutely a, an expensive stock relative to many others um, in the universe out here. So um, it's probably kind of limited in terms of at least um, the results that were provided here. But that being said, I, I think the, the opportunities ahead remain um, absolutely enormous for long-term investors out there. As far as Airbnb is concerned, where are the areas of opportunity just as, as far as taking advantage of the travel boom? And also, what are Airbnb's expenses? Because it's not like a traditional hotel where you have to pay a, a front desk person and, and a housekeeping staff yeah. and a restaurant staff. Uh, it's up to the Airbnb owners to actually do all of the work. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, as far as um, you know, where the opportunities are, I'd say this. You know, during the pandemic, clearly this was a, a business that was driven more about kind of local stays, um, you know, locations you can kind of drive to, as well as uh, more kind of non-urban areas. And the opportunity that we've seen here over the last couple of months, and where we expect Airbnb B&B to kind of really gain traction over the next, um, you know, nine to twelve months, will be more in the cross-border travel as well as kind of increasing stays in urban areas, um, which now represent, you know, um, about 47% of their gross nights booked. So um, those are going to be the opportunities ahead. Um, in increased supply will definitely help kind of them um, in those areas, which we expect um, to come to fruition over the next couple of months. Now, um, in terms of the kind of the cost structure and everything, um, the great thing about Airbnb is it is kind of just a platform-based um, company, so they really don't have much in terms of um, cost. The operating expenses aren't going much up much, um, which allows them to really kind of scale that business model. If you actually look at capex, less than two percent of their total revenue. So um, a very asset-light business model where they can really so see some significant benefits here from that scalability over the next couple of years. Your recommendation for Airbnb stock? So we do have a buy recommendation. Our 12-month target price is $125. Angelo Zeno, Senior Industry Analyst with CFRA Research based in New York. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, spending your retirement on a cruise ship. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. 
Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio. WBBM, the suspect in the Highland Park parade shooting, enters a plea in Lake County Court. Gas prices are down. We'll check in with an oil industry analyst on what lies ahead in Travel Tuesday, downsizing in retirement by spending a significant amount of time cruising. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 452 points. The Nasdaq NASDAQ is up 315. The S&P 500 is up 67. AccuWeather says breezy, hot, and humid with clouds and sunshine. A high today of 93. The AccuWeather real field temperatures near 100. Could see some strong thunderstorms this afternoon. 89 degrees right now in Chicago under partly sunny skies, but it feels like 98 at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, Robert Cremo III has pleaded not guilty to more than 100 criminal charges filed against him for allegedly firing from a rooftop during the 4th of July parade in Highland Park, killing seven people and wounding 48 others. Lake County State's Attorney Eric Reinhardt spoke outside the courtroom in Waukegan this morning. Generally speaking, under Illinois law, the defense may demand a trial, either in writing or orally. The defense did not do that today. That was what happened in the public courtroom. I'm not going to comment beyond that. During an initial court hearing two days after the shooting, prosecutors said Cremo had confessed to the crime. He's facing a sentence of life in prison. OPEC and its fellow oil-producing allies have decided to boost production, but not by much. We have labored mightily and produced a mouse. Could be the quote making the rounds in Washington today. President Biden traveled to Saudi Arabia last month, hoping to get the oil giant to ramp production up enough to drive global oil prices down far enough to placate American voters. Well, OPEC did decide to increase production at its monthly meeting, but by far less than in previous months, oil prices edging up slightly on the news. Vicki Barker, CBS News, London. And uh, oil now trading at $91 a barrel. That's its lowest number since uh, February. We'll take a deeper dive into oil prices later this half hour on the Noon Business Hour, which is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets in plus territory were joined by Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist with B. Riley Financial based in New York. Art, thanks for joining us today. The Dow up 445 points. The NASDAQ up 314. The S&P 500 up 66. Did investors just get up on the right side of the bed this morning? Yeah, a couple things going on here, Rob. I think one, and it clearly the earnings that we saw both last night after the bell and this morning Continue a list of uh, earnings that are better than feared. And when that happens, I think that's enough good news for investors. I think the other thing is that the yields on the 10-year and, and uh, the rest of the Treasury curve has sort of come back into the range that we're used to uh, over the course of the last couple of months, which is between two and three quarters and three percent. That seems to be the appropriate place. And, and uh, we dipped down to two and a half a couple of days ago, and that's sort of an overshoot to the downside. We saw an overshoot to the upside when we got to three and a half, but I think the two and three quarter, three and a quarter range on the tenure helps investors feel a little bit more confident. So both those things happening at the same time certainly have uh, resumed the 
the upturn that markets saw certainly in the month of July. And there were a couple of uh, encouraging reports, uh, not only on uh, economic growth, but also on uh, the the pace of inflation. Uh, the ISM services index out today, a lot of spending in the services sector, stronger than expected. And at the same time, the prices that they are paying uh, lower, which suggests that uh, inflation is cooling off. Yeah, really important point. Both the ISM manufacturing, which had a prices paid component that was much lower than anticipated and down significantly on a month over month basis, mirrored what the ISM services came out with today. Uh, and, and if you look back over the last three months, all of the Fed regional banks, which have um, uh, a prices paid component, have been down for uh, three consecutive months. So inflation certainly is rolling over on its own accord and, and, and certainly with the help of the Fed and tighter monetary policy. So inflation heading, heading in the right direction may well be pointing to the fact that we've got uh, peak in yields, peak in uh, inflation, and certainly you know getting past that peak in pessimism about markets, which was very prevalent in the month of June. And uh, one other sign that uh, maybe we've turned a corner as far as uh, economic anxiety is concerned is that the meme stocks are back, and there's a new one. Um, and this one, it's it's very interesting, uh, the fact that, that I want to know why uh, this one got picked. It's AMTD Digital. It's a Hong Kong financial services uh, website or company. It's the darling of the Reddit's Wall Street Bets uh, uh, subreddit, uh, which launched GameStop. GameStop and uh, and uh, AMC last year, uh, the price up over 21,000%. How did this become a meme stock? I mean, I understand why GameStop uh, became a meme stock last year and AMC as well, uh, but this one seems kind of obscure. Yeah, very obscure. Uh, you know, um, unless and until it actually started blowing up here, none of us had heard of it, for sure. It was an IPO that came out July 15th and, and uh clearly has a tiny float. So, you know, and by that, I mean, there's just not that many shares available. Now, it's too recent of an IPO to really have any short interest. So that's that was some of the drivers of the early sort of meme stock uh, um, phase, right? You know, go after overly shorted stocks. That's not the case here. But the tiny float is what's really pushing things around. So if there's just not that many shares outstanding and you get enough of a crowd or an army of uh, of Reddit uh, um, pirates to, to uh, attack and find a name to attack, you're going to get this kind of action. And, and as we know, having gone through this over the last couple of years, these things don't tend to end very well, especially when you think about the fact that the last time these guys reported on how they were doing, they had about $25 million in revenue. So, you know, with its uh, current run-up in, in uh, valuation over the course of the last two or three days, you're talking about a market cap of call it 235 billion for 25 million dollars in revenue. So uh, you know clearly this a little out of whack. And very quickly, uh, the the fact that uh, people are are willing to play these games once again is it a sign that uh, the economic turbulence may be behind us? No, I don't think that's a sign of anything. That uh, other than the fact that the uh, Reddit army has found a new enemy and they seem to be going after it with a vengeance but uh, the the magnitude of uh, money that it takes to push around a, a, a stock like this AMT digital is much less than some of the larger stocks that they went after a couple of years ago when this whole thing began i think the speculative edges of the uh, of the market really don't tell us much about how the general market sentiment is and i would tell you i'd be much more in tune with the fact that the s&p 500 is up about 10% from its lows and, and uh, working its way through some significant resistance. I think that's a better barometer for how the market's doing and how uh, investors feel about the economy. 
Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist with B. Riley Financial based in New York. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. As you consider plans for retirement, uh, why restrict yourself to land? How about the water and add cruise ships to the mix? We welcome in Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, Arizona. The website, travelbta.com. Angie, thanks for joining us today. So here's a story uh, from a couple of months ago. We were on a Disney cruise as a family. It was a week-long voyage. We get back to Port Canaveral, Florida. Everyone gets off the boat. And then we found a couple of families that were ready to get back on uh, as soon as their rooms and the ship was cleaned and provisioned for the next voyage. The departure was later that afternoon. Uh, Is this a common thing where people just decide to uh, live on the cruise ship for a couple of months, uh, maybe many months out of a year? Right. It is a true concept. I wouldn't say that it's common, but it's definitely in high demand in terms of the availability to cruise for these extended periods of time. I mean, it even has a theme, the around the world cruise. So these are itineraries where the cruises range from 100 days of cruising on up to 250. 75 days, perhaps. And so these are longer uh, voyages. And just to give you kind of some insight as far as the demand, uh, itineraries sell out instantly. So we're looking at 2025 itineraries already if you're looking to do this extended type of cruising. Now, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, website right now for the Cunard Line, you know, the grand old dame of, uh, of transatlantic uh, cruising. It's been around for 150 years. It's definitely on the higher end of the cruise spectrum, but you have a 27-night Grand Caribbean cruise. Uh, it leaves uh, December 15th. It ends on January 11th of next year. You'd sail across the Atlantic during the winter. That's kind of a, a rough go, but then you spend the rest of the time uh, just going around the Caribbean. That's $4,300 per person. Uh, that's the basic one. And then you can you know, get more luxurious accommodations from there. And that's you know, $4,300 for a month of accommodations anywhere. Uh, you do the math on that, that's not entirely unreasonable. Right. So you're looking at like a month long cruise and then certainly you can extend Um, and you're right. And you really have to evaluate what's included when when cruise lines advertise these more unique types of itineraries where there is that extension. They have to really kind of rethink what are the amenities that someone is really going to value for a longer period of time. So some of these cruise lines will include the air, they'll include the excursions, and they'll also offer the butler service with unlimited laundry, dry cleaning, pressing. And you find that in those retirement years where you're, you're weighing, do we want to downsize? Do we want to do something different? And, you know, I have a background as a CPA. So a lot of times with my clients, I really try to assess like, look, you might have 10 years of traveling, um, but you're probably going to probably do more traveling those first three or four and then slowly, you know, travel quite a bit less. So you might see bigger budgets in those earlier years of retirement related to travel. And you kind of, when you break it down in that fashion, people get a little bit more comfortable with spending more money because it's for a particular number of years. So we also have some travelers, interesting enough, before the pandemic, I was working with a retiree and she was looking at spending three months you know, renting a villa, doing a little bit of coastal trips where she would say three nights and four nights, and it was going to be on the front end, an extended cruise, and on the back end, a cruise. So it really is a a realistic concept. And I think when you're downsizing your home and you're looking for that opportunity of, okay, 
instead of committing to a condo or moving into more of a adult living center, maybe for two, three years, we do more travel. We visit families and we do, you know, month to month type rentals in between. Yeah, and, and everything is right there for you. As you said, somebody does your laundry, you don't have to walk far, walk very far to get breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and it's all self-contained, and a lot of people do things for you, and once you get to a certain age and you've put in a lot of work as a, as a spouse and as a parent, that's fairly attractive. Yes, I mean, I met a gentleman not too long ago on a Regent cruise, and he was sharing with me that his mother had become a widow. She was very active. And she sailed for two years because she wasn't quite ready to go into an assisted living program. And she planned her travels around people visiting her in different destinations. And it was most, the most remarkable two-year time period, you know, sort of in that phase, you know, mid-70s where she was still active. And I always remember that story. And I hope that more people look at that as a potential reality for their um later years as well. Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, Arizona. The website, travelbta.com. Still to come, an update on gas prices in the energy sector. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There's been some relief at the gas pump, but will it last? Let's find out from Patrick DeHaan, Senior Petroleum Analyst at gasbuddy.com based in Chicago. Of course, you can see people yelling at him on Twitter all the time at gasbuddy. Patrick, thanks for joining us today. You, you, you just have the information about the trajectory of gas prices and uh, people from all points of the political compass then use that information to uh, fulfill your priors. But uh, you have been uh, uh, sounding a fairly consistent tune lately, and that is uh, gas prices have been falling for about a month, and it looks like they will continue to do so. Well, I'm really hopeful that they will, of course, keeping in mind that OPEC disappointed markets this morning by announcing only a small increase. That hasn't held up the price of oil, which is plummeting $3 a barrel again this afternoon. We are nearing oil prices falling under $90 a barrel for WTI. Brent crude oil a little bit above that, still at 98 Wholesale prices for gasoline now are, Bob, down $0.13 cents a gallon. So, at least for now, there appears to be more uh, more optimism and more likelihood that we'll fall under the average of $4 nationally in the next 7 to 12 days. At the very least, it seems like uh, we have uh, gone back to the state of play before Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, the price of oil, at least the WTI, is where it was uh, in the middle of February. And uh, the RBOB, the uh, futures contracts for gasoline, kind of corresponds to prices that we saw in uh, late January and early February. And uh, the, the wholesale gas price for September delivery uh, is below $3 a gallon for the first time in a long time. How does that translate into the price at the gas pump, especially in a, a big area like Chicago, where there are a lot of motor fuel taxes piled on top of it? Well, you know, there's certainly a lag, and, and futures and spot markets are, are highly different. Um, of course, futures markets are what most people see instead of the spot market. But anyway, not to get in the weeds, we are going to face a continued drop Gas stations are continuing to get lower-priced replenishments, and they will pass it along as soon as they sell through at more expensive inventory. So there is a lag time. But the good news is we've actually seen two sub-$4 prices pop back up in Chicagoland, one in Addison, the other in Buffalo Grove. The average price, almost a dollar a gallon higher than that, Chicago's Metro, four ninety-three. But we should continue to see solid relief. Don't be in any hurry to fill your tank up. 
unless you find one of those sub $4 stations because prices will likely continue coming down. And then very quickly on the demand destruction front, uh, it's down significantly from a year ago this year, and this is during the summer driving season. Does this mean uh, people are adjusting their habits for high prices? And also, is this a function of more electric vehicles and, and more work from home days? Well, really all of the above, especially when prices went up, people that have the option to work remote were likely doing so in increasing numbers. Uh, but as prices have come down, unsurprisingly, Americans are trying to make what they can out of the last really three weeks of summer. We have seen a little bit of an increase in demand, at least according to gas buddy figures. Now the EIA uh, showing another drop today, uh, but realistically, I think nobody disagrees Demand has softened, uh, but it's still uh, above uh, where we've been in 2020. Patrick DeHaan, Senior Petroleum Analyst with GasBuddy.com, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on and podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.